An amazing response from Gift Day. I hope you were encouraged. That's phenomenal. You know, the giving of you guys was incredible. So thank you so much. It was, uh, well, we on the way, aren't we? Hey, so, so we were blown away by it. And uh, when we looked at the percentage of what was given by the seed for people, it is remarkable. I think what was it about about a third of the money was given. So it's it's brilliant. You know, considering the the numbers. Just amazing. So thank you. If you weren't around last week, uh, I think the total was in something like about 124 and a bit thousand pounds. So uh, it is amazing. Also encouraged. Uh, oh, she's gone. She was here only a moment ago. Uh, I, I listened to Polly preach the other week. I listened on a podcast of Polly. I thought she was brilliant. Okay. I, I haven't heard Polly speak before. I've always not had the opportunity and I listened and what she packed into 21 minutes of material was just brilliant so when you say to her just say you know oh, great grand thought you were good uh, actually i have spoken to her but i wanted to commend her in front of everyone else as well and that's uh, she she just did great so i'm also encouraged i, I love what's happening here and I, I love that you guys are leading and and i love that even with jez doing the kids work that guys you're leading and contributing and sharing and prophesying and heavenly languages and you know that is very very encouraging and heartwarming. A couple of weeks ago, I'll introduce myself in case uh, you haven't met me. I know that some people have not had the opportunity to meet. Uh, my name is Graham. Uh, actually, I lead the team that leads the church. So Jez is here looking after what goes on. Uh, and as a team, there's uh, how many venues? We have three venues, four meetings, and we have different leaders heading out on each of those. And I lead the team that leads the church. So it's just a uh, wonderful opportunity for me to come across and just spend some time with you. So Thank you so much. Uh, you'll see specks of paint on me. I've been painting all week. And I was varnishing a floor this morning before I came here. So I, I just managed to squeeze in one floor varnish because I'm on a timeline. So if you come and see me being quite sticky into paint, then that's why. Okay, a couple of weeks back now. Uh, this church is part of a bigger family of churches. Uh, we're part of New Ground. John has already mentioned that, which is uh, Ashburnham. Uh, gathering of the family. And then New Ground is actually part of a, a bigger, wider family called New Frontiers. And for the first time in probably six years, uh, the, the, the churches of New Frontiers got together, the leaders got together really just to be praying for the nation. We met up in London at uh, Westminster Chapel. And uh, I don't think there's a time that <laughs> I've certainly known where praying for the nation has been more important. Okay, there's so much fear, so much uncertainty, so much confusion, so much anger. Everyone has to have a, a, a blame someone for everything. And uh, so we spent the morning really just praying for the state of the nation. And then the afternoon, what we really started praying for was this kind of old-fashioned word called revival. Old-fashioned in the sense that, you know, I bet many of you have been praying for revival, spiritual awakening for like decades. Who, who has been asking God, God, we're praying for a spiritual rise in temperature and we're praying for this. It's just uh, revival is what we wanted to do and still hoping, still believing. And sometimes you can kind of get a little bit disheartened and discouraged because you're praying for one thing and it just seems as if the nation is just jumping off the cliff. And uh, you, you're praying, God, please, we pray for this spiritual awakening. And it's like, okay, let's just make these decisions going on in life. And it can get a little bit discouraging. And there's a, a lady uh, within the New Frontiers circles 
uh, called Ginny. Ginny is kind of well-respected as someone who just hears from God, a prophet. And uh, she was praying one day recently, and she said, God, I'm so... I've been praying for this revival. I've been praying for a spiritual awakening, a rising in temperature for such a long time. And she was just feeling so disheartened, so discouraged. That, Please, God, can you just send a sign? Can you just give me some indication that you're in control, that you know what is going on? And uh, she left that prayer out there. And then uh, the following Sunday, she was in her church in Sheffield uh, when one of the host team came up to her and said, uh, Ginny, there's a, there's a man here to see you. And it was out into the foyer of the building. And so she got up and she went out and met this man. And this man explained the backstory as to how uh, he came to be there that day. And uh, he said uh, he woke up that day, felt as if God speak to him that he should go to Sheffield. So he got in his car and drove to Sheffield. Oh, let me just back up a little bit. Over the years, Ginny had been praying a little bit about... How she saw a map of the UK and that little pinpricks of light appearing. And these little pinpricks of light, and you could just see it, and it was getting more and more and more and more. And the whole kind of the outline of the UK was being lit up, uh, a little bit like when the beacons uh, were lit for like uh, their 70th anniversary of victory in Europe or the Queen's Jubilee occasions, lighting the beacons, lighting up all over the nation. And that's what she'd been praying for. And that's what she was getting disheartened and discouraged because God, she felt as if God was saying, this is what it's going to be like. And it wasn't being like that. And uh, anyway, so she sat in church and uh, went out to the foyer, met this man. And this man said, uh, I woke up that day and I felt as if I should come to Sheffield. And then uh, where do you want me to go in Sheffield? I will show you where to go when you get to Sheffield. So he arrived in Sheffield. I want you to go to a church. Which church? <laughs> go to Sheffield. There's lots of churches. And said, I will show you. And ended up going along to this church and then asking for this lady. And this lady, Gorgini, came out to see him. And uh, he just said, I just, uh, I felt God say to me, I need to tell you what my job is. Okay. He says, God's got me in the car, drove me to Sheffield, got here. I found you in a church. He just wants me to tell you. My job was sitting on the steering committee for all of the national celebrations when they were lighting the beacons for the victory in Europe and when they were lighting for the Queen's Jubilee special occasions. And it's like suddenly she goes, God is in control. God is good. God knows what he's doing. And when I heard that story, there was just something within me that God, okay, just a rise of faith once again to go, do you know what, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe that you know what you are doing. And uh, revival, and we want to see that. We want to see a spiritual awakening. We want to see a change in the atmosphere, the temperature. And there's a lot of society that wants to erase Christianity from any influence. And even though it looks a little bit like a famine that is going on at the moment, that there is this assurance that God has not forgotten us. So we're into this teaching series, actually virtually at the end of this current teaching. Ah, here's Polly. Wasn't she brilliant a few weeks ago? Okay, she was, she was so good. Polly, you were so good a few weeks ago. virtually finished this teaching series on signs of the kingdom. What does the kingdom of God look like? This new community within the society being impacted by God. Okay? A kingdom where justice is evident, uh, where joy, where there's peace, where there's freedom. And that's what it kind of looks like. 
So we want people to be coming in into this context and to be, if they're arriving in kind of like sad and with depression hanging over them, feeling less sad and less depressed when they leave and when they're feeling uh, less anxious. Uh, anxious when they come in, we want people to be feeling less anxious. Are very fearful when people come in, we want people to be feeling less fearful. When they're feeling guilty, we want them to have that guilt lifted off. With the sadness, we want to bring joy. Where there's anger, we want to bring relief from that. Where there's sickness, we want to bring health. So it's all the signs of what the kingdom of God looks like. And it isn't just actually appearing in here in a Seaford Head School. Actually, it's the hope is that anyone within the community that we're part of on the Seaford Head Golf Course right now or down into Morrison's in the town center, anyone that actually we really want to see the kingdom of God breaking into their life. We want to see that. I want to see that. I want to see the difference. I want people to taste something of the goodness and the, uh, uh, how good it is to know God. And so we continue to pray for that. Wednesday night, you get the opportunity. We're praying for the kingdom of God to come. So I came back from London a couple of weeks ago, and a few days later, I just gathered about 15 or 16 people and said, come on, we're just going to pray. And it was just similar, I guess, to what you're doing on Wednesday. And we just gathered, and we were in a house that kind of had a vista that overlooked Eastbourne. And we were praying, we were just crying, and suddenly there just felt such an intensity. Or, or just, God, we were, felt as if we were really connecting with the heart of God. Once again, just praying for this community that we really want to be a part of because I want to see something happen. Now, I, I live in Eastbourne, and I traveled all the way from Eastbourne today. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. And uh, lots of cyclists out on Sunday morning. It took a long time. And uh, 90 years ago, uh, there's a gentleman called George Jeffries that some of you may have heard of. Uh, George Jeffries, uh, I think it was very instrumental kind of in the Ealing Pentecostal movement. And uh, he became a Christian in 1904 and uh, during something called the Welsh Revival. And he came to Eastbourne in, oh, look, you've got it up there, in 1928. And this was a report. The mission started out at the pier for three days in the ballroom. But there was such a response that it was moved to the Winter Gardens and it was held for a further week. This was continued for a further two weeks at a large tent placed behind the Royal Sussex Crescent in Old Town. It was reported that there were over a thousand conversions together with healing and miracles. It caught the attention of the national press when a lady of renown was miraculously healed of an eye condition and no longer needed spectacles. First-hand witnesses report being taken out of wheelchairs and the lame walking. A lorry was parked outside the Winter Gardens and it was filled with crutches that had been thrown away because people had been healed. Oh... I really want to see that happen again, okay? And I don't mind 10 miles if it overspills into Seaford a little bit, you know, and 15 miles even into Peacehaven and Newhaven. And, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing that. And I just hear your response. I guess that is true for you as well. But, you know, we are seeing some, some really you know, fascinating stories. There's a young guy uh, lived in Eastbourne, 22 years of age, and uh, went to bed an atheist, and he woke up a Christian because he met Jesus in a dream. In Eastbourne, you, you hear that in kind of like way off kind of like places, but in Eastbourne. Uh, and then he, he absolutely grew and flew in God and then relocated actually to go and serve God 
uh, within months of him becoming a Christian, moved up to London, uh, Liverpool, to live into a housing estate in Liverpool, just so he could just share the, the good news of Jesus. Just heard, I hope I tell the story accurately. This is the information, is that Ross was uh, at work uh, a little while back, chefing away, as he did do, and does do, and he noticed that there was uh, a bloke there who was washing up, and he had marigolds on, and and uh, he was washing up, and he said, why are you wearing marigolds? And as far as I'm aware, this man said he had a kind of a skin con- issue that couldn't wash up, maybe a bit of eczema and stuff like that. And he said, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm an atheist. I'm a Christian. Can I pray for you? You're right, then you can pray for me. Prayed for him, and nothing happened. And then uh, the week later, the marigold man was back again. And so Ross prayed for marigold man and, uh, you know, and, and then just carried on uh, doing it. And then a little while later... Uh, Ross noticed that Marigold Man was not wearing his marigolds and um, inquired why. And he said, well, I think your Jesus healed me, you know, which is yeah, that's good. Praying for the opportunities for Marigold Men. John was so inspired by that story that he went out and there was a work co- a colleague that he bumped into the following day who was feeling really quite nauseous and sick. So let me pray for you. Prayed for him. Within five minutes, she was <laughs> violently sick. So, uh, you know. Yeah, so uh, you know, I go to Ross, not to John. Okay, so uh, you know, but well done, John. Okay, that, that is great. But Marigold Man was, I think, your Jesus has healed you, and and you know, we have the stories, and it's like going, but but for me, there's not enough of those stories. That we talk about a a kingdom, God's rule, God's reign. I want to see more of God's rule and God's reign now than having to wait for it. Uh, we talk about this dynamic of the the now and the not yet. Uh, there's a really posh word for it, which I can't remember what it is. Jürgen, what is that posh word? Which talk about the now and the not yet. Andrew will confirm it next week. You'll listen to him. And he talks about the now and the not yet. And I want to see more of the not yet now. More of what we're going to get in the future, the promise, the hope, the certainty. I want more of that being dragged into this world now. I'd love to see more of that. And for healing, healing is actually a really big part of it. You know, it's taken us six other signs to get to the one that you thought, oh, if I was asking you, what is a sign of the kingdom of God if you've been a Christian? Some people say, it's healing. It's almost like that trumps all the others. <laughs> Playing top trumps. It's, like, oh, no, it, oh, it, it, it's much better than joy. It's much better than this. No, it's just one of the signs. Now, some churches have a very strong emphasis on healing. Some churches have no emphasis on healing. Those with a strong emphasis go, do you know, if you're in Christ, then by, by Christ's death and by his stripes you are healed, then there's healing now for everyone. Okay, very, very strong emphasis. Okay? And then there's other people go, no, no, healing just kind of like died out with the apostles and the early church. It's no longer part of now. Okay, so you have really a very broad spectrum. And then you have people like me who's sitting in the middle who are going, do you know what, I, I do believe in healing. And I believe in that everyone will be healed. It's just an issue of timing. They're now and they're not yet. Everyone who's in Christ will be healed. I'm believing and looking for some of that now, but I know that one day all sickness will be gone. Death will be gone. Fear will be gone. Anxiety will be gone. Depression will be gone. It will be gone. Because that is the promise of what is to come. Just that, if you're like me, I want a little bit of the not yet now. I want to see more of the kingdom of God breaking in. And, and healing for me is kind of like one of those major things. Why is healing such an issue? Well, for Christians, it's actually it's really good news because it kind of like validates and gives proof, doesn't it? That, you know, no, no, I told you. I told you God's real. Look, he's just healed you. And how, you know, it, it, 
It backs up what we believe. But I don't think it's just good news for the Christian. It's actually really good news for the person who's sick. That's why it's good news, because if you've been in a situation where you know what it is and you've observed someone else who has been going through severe illness, sickness, you want to do whatever you can in order to relieve that pain and sickness. I woke up in the middle of the night with oh, really bad cramp in my leg. Okay, I do hear, you know, it's like, I remember one occasion, I did something called the Nuts Challenge a few years ago, which was like really, as the name suggests, nuts. Uh, you know, and I had double cramp in both my legs at the exact same time, and my wife just creased up with laughter. You know, she just was completely nonsympathetic. In the night, I woke up with cramp. I was like, so painful. And actually, I cried out to God, God, you can heal this. You can, so the slumber kind of moments. And actually, within moments, I thought, oh, it's gone. <laughs> and they go, oh, is that coincidence? Is that what? But I was relieved. Okay. I, if you've been in a long-term situation where you have observed or you've experienced it yourself, getting free of that pain and free of that anxiety, free of that discomfort, free of it, that's really good news. Physical pain, discomfort, it's life-limiting. The emotional pain, not just onto you, but onto other family members, that, that sense of loss or the sadness. Then there's the psychological pain, that, that, that sense of loss of dignity, that, that, that losing of independence, uh, no longer able to go to the loo on your own, no longer able to shave without someone helping you to shave. And then there is the, this spiritual pain of just what's next? Is this it? Is this what life is all about? And if someone is going through sickness, illness, and life has been so shaped and influenced by it, wouldn't you want to get rid of it? I know some of you here have got amazing stories, outstanding stories of life which was like so trapped with the illness, and then suddenly you've being able to walk free from that. And the reverse is also true. But there's some people who have said, you know, I've lived a life like this, but now I am limited because of this illness upon me. I want more than not yet now. Uh, a couple of years back, there was a lady that myself and Belinda went to visit. She lived, what, 500 yards away from here. She didn't actually come to this congregation. She came across to Eastbourne. She'd become a Christian only a short while before. In her prime, she was an incredibly capable lady. When I met her in her early 50s, she'd been diagnosed with motor neuron disease, which is just horrible. And I saw her 12 hours before she died, and I saw all of those, the physical pain, the discomfort, the, the fear that was linked to that, the fear of choking, the fear of not being able to do anything, absolutely dependent on everyone else, and then this spiritual pain, this anguish that she was going through, and... And we could just see how painful and difficult it was. And I go, do you know what? Healing is good. And we prayed for healing. God, you can do this. Not just healing. We prayed for a miracle. Because it, in a way, it was beyond what medical intervention could do. God, we needed a miracle to, to be taking place here. So healing is good because it removes the pain. It relieves the heartache. It restores possibilities. And it restore, resuscitates faith, points towards a better world. And if that's on offer, then I reckon most people are going to grab it. We've seen a couple of stories recently in the, in the news. One is an ongoing one uh, about 11-month-old Charlie Gard, terrible illness. Parents are trying everything in order to try and get in the medical treatment because they're just desperate that they're just wanting to intervene and do something in order to, to give them opportunity and hope. And then there was the six-year-old Bradley Lowry, who many of you will be following that story, especially if you're a football fan, a little six-year-old uh, mascot for Sunderland who caught the attention 
of, of the nation. And a couple of weeks back, he died. As a parent, wouldn't you want to be doing everything that you possibly can? Possibly you would want to be doing that. So let's look in a couple of stories here. John chapter 4. So Jesus came again to Canaan in Galilee where he had made the water into wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. You could just feel the sense of urgency and desperation. Didn't want to get caught up in the politics. Some of you know the heartache of what that is like. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. And the man believed. And the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed, and all of his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he came from Judea to Galilee. And after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades, In these lay a multitude of invalids, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when he saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, Jesus said to him, do you want to be healed? And the sick man said, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed. And he took up his bed and he walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is this man who said that to you? Take up your bed and walk. And now the man who had been healed didn't know who he was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse will happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. See, there's so many stories in the New Testament part of the Bible where Jesus was just healing lots of people. In the four biographies of Jesus, over 30 different stories, 30 individuals being healed by Jesus. That's over 30 individuals, 30 families, 30 communities being impacted. There's also at least 20 references or occasions that Jesus healed many or all who came to him. At times people approached him, Blind people, deaf people, and other times he approached them. People came to him and he went to people. They reached out to him and he reached out to them. Often it was close up, sometimes from a distance. Go, your servant will be well. Sometimes the healing was gradual, like in the first story. Told him your son your son was recovering. 
And sometimes it was immediate, like the 38-year-old disabled man, at once he was healed. And sometimes Jesus didn't heal at all. At the pool of Bethesda, it was in a context of a crowd, a multitude of equally sick and desperate people. Sometimes Jesus had enough, uh, sometimes people had enough faith, like, like, the, like the dad believed, and sometimes they had no faith, like the man at the pool. I didn't even know who Jesus was. In Matthew 14, Jesus said they had little faith. In Matthew 15, they had great faith. In Mark 6, he was amazed at their lack of faith. Sometimes faith mattered. On occasions, individuals and families believed. At other times, people simply walked away. Story of 10 men who were, Jesus came across in a village who all had leprosy. And he said, go and present yourselves to the priests and they will declare you well. On the way, they got healed. Only one came back and Jesus said, what happened to the other nine? And many of the stories, we just simply don't know what happened. What happened next? See, there's no real pattern as to Jesus, how he went about healing people. Just many amazing stories about how their lives were changed as a result of meeting him, a little bit of heaven touching earth. I, I just love this about Jesus, that how he removed the pain. Like, like the woman who had been suffering with a blood disorder for, for many, many years. And how he relieved the heartache and handed little boys and little girls back to the heartbroken daddies. And how he restored dignity. Like the man who was lowered through the roof, being brought there by his four friends, and he ended up walking home from that occasion. And how he restored possibilities. 38 years, a disabled man. He resuscitated faith and pointed people towards another. I read on the chapter 5 of John because it, just, because it says of Jesus that he withdrew himself. He got out of the way. But when he was challenged, he said, look, my father, it's all about my father. My father is working. I'm only doing what my father wants me to do. Jesus healed a lot. And this is this new kingdom of zero sickness, zero illness, zero death. And we just want a little bit of a taste of that now. Lord, I would love to see more of the not yet now. And there's a huge tension that I feel honestly with that. Now, I'm a Brighton supporter. Seagulls, on our way. In the Premiership, we're on our way. Season ticket holder. First match of the season, Manchester City. On the outside, I am outwardly hopeful. On the inside, I'm already inwardly preparing myself for humiliation. Ever felt like that when you're praying with someone who's sick? On the outside, you go, let me pray for you. God's good. On the inside, I'm already preparing how to explain why God doesn't heal. There's that sense of God, I want to believe for the best, but there's something that's going on on the inside which is just causing me to doubt. And there's that tension of the now and the not yet. And, and sometimes, if there's too much emphasis on the kingdom now, I kind of feel it's a bit presumptuous and demanding of God, as if God is on tap. And too much emphasis on the not yet just creates pessimism and defeatism if it's God's will. 
And we start to manage down people's expectations as to why the Lord doesn't always heal. So how do we handle that dynamic and dilemma? Well, I think we need a couple of things. We need persevering faith to keep going, to keep praying, to keep believing like for Marigold Man. Does that not somehow undermine faith? But you've prayed for this. Well, very helpfully, Jesus told a story, a parable in Luke chapter 18. He told a story of a persistent widow who just kept going and kept going and kept going at the judge until the judge relented and said, Give to her what she wants. Persistence changes things. Persevering faith. Also, I think there's something called optimistic realism. Okay? Now, pessimistic realism just sucks life out of, you know. Somebody came up to me a little while ago, and I'm sure they don't even remember saying this to me. You know, they were a believer, part of the church in Eastbourne. And uh, they said, "I, I, I know there's Jesus and faith and all that stuff, but I live in the real world. And it's like, oh, and he just felt any sense of faith. And now God, he said, it was as if the two were incompatible. Like realism had caught up, and, but faith and stuff's all right. Uh, I've been reading a, a biography about uh, Hudson Taylor. It's actually an autobiography about uh, as, as a young man was called to go to China 130, 40 years ago. And as a young man, he really felt God was preparing him to go to China. And uh, so he went to visit the local vicar who had to, have, to have a book on China. So he wanted to borrow the book. And uh, he said, what do you want to do with this? I want to prepare myself to go to China. And the vicar of the church asked him and said, how do you propose to go there? As in, how are you going to get the support in order to go? And uh, Hudson Taylor said this. I answered, I did not know, but it seemed probable that I should go as the 12 and the 70 done in Judea without purse or script, relying on him who had called me to supply all my need. Kindly placing his hand upon my shoulder, the minister replied, oh, my boy, as you grow older, you will get wiser than that. Such an idea would do very well in the days when Christ himself was on earth, but not now. (laughs) And he said this, I have grown older since then, but not wiser. Optimistic realism. That God is able. There's belief. There's belief for healing. Realism is that I have been in one or two meetings where, like, you know, claim your healing. You, you've, you have been healed. And then, and yes, I've been healed. And you go, they haven't, really. And yet, there's been in other occasions where people have been going, have I been healed? And then suddenly, like, going, oh, whoa, I, I have. Happened at at Alpha two weeks ago. Jez was speaking at Alpha, and at the end of it, he said, well, let's just pray for people. Alpha is a place where people are investigating the claims of Christianity, what life is all about, and we're talking on healing. And Jez just felt at the end, let's pray, and uh, stop praying, and it just felt as if someone was there with a degenerative eye condition. And no one responded to this. And then at the end, Jez was saying to a chap there called AJ, and Jez said, I was a bit disappointed that no one responded to that word. And AJ said, well, I have an eye condition that, you know, and then described this eye condition. It was a bit like having Vaseline on, on, on his eyes. That was very unclear. And what well, Jez said, in, you know, let's pray. And then pray for him. And, and then within moments, there was... Virtual clarity in both his eyes. As if the Vaseline had been wiped off. 
And, and Jez was saying, well, give me, if it was 10 before, where is it now on the zero to 10 kind of like scale? He said, it's about a three. Whoa. And, we, yeah. and how do we add a three? Okay, well, it's not completely healed, is he? A three is a lot better than 10. In fact, nine is better than a 10. And we need to get used to celebrating that someone has gone from a 10 to a three rather than a 10 to a zero. Because a 10 to a three makes a massive impact. And he went away and actually wrote a few days later. And he said, he said, well, I need to go and check this out. I need to go and look at computer screens and things like that. And, and he went and he checked it out and he came back and he said, it's probably like a number two, to be honest. There's just some periphery stuff that is going on there. And that was like a couple of weeks ago. Whoa. Isn't that great? God is able. Dependency on God. Let's trust God. Let's believe God. Because it's about faith in the Father. Ultimately, it's about the character in our Heavenly Father. And when we pray, our Father in heaven, it's like we're praying our dad, our dad without limits. He's like our earthly dad without any of the earthly limitations. And when we pray, we pray that your kingdom come. But when we pray your kingdom come, we pray to our dad without limits. He's a loving, generous Father. See, faith is a continual expectation of this ongoing encounter with this loving, generous Father. It's not faith in a higher power. This is faith in a biblical, heavenly dad. Back to Jesus. So when I read through these stories of I see the incredible compassion, the mercy, the kindness. I wish I just had like 5% of the compassion, mercy, and kindness. Two couple of things from these stories. Very quickly, Jesus often healed in the ordinary everyday, whatever came along his path. You, you will often read the stories that Jesus entered the village and people approached him, and he would just deal with that. On some occasions... He deliberately went out of his way and intentionally found people, like the man at the pool of Bethesda. It says that Jesus went to find him. In the previous chapter, chapter 4, he went to find a Samaritan woman by a well. So everyday circumstances and sometimes deliberately out of his way to be intentional. And I think there's just something that we can learn in that quickly. See, there's those ordinary moments in the supermarket, at the doctors. We don't need to go searching very far for our marigold moments. Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. He held out his palms and asked them for alms, and this is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I not. It's just one of those everyday situation circumstances. As you're walking along, the people that you are bumping into and coming across, they are the everyday opportunities. If you want a divine encounter, open your eyes. They're everywhere. But what stops us? Well, sometimes we don't always see them. And sometimes it's not always convenient. And sometimes it's fear of what to say in the moment. It's like, can I, can I, can I pray for you? But I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus heals. Can I pray for you? Now, I, I, I get away with it a little bit. Because I say I'm a pastor of a church, it's my job to pray, and I get in trouble if I don't pray for you. <laughs> but it's a fear of what to say in that moment. But you know, look, I'm a Christian. What's the worst that's going to happen? 
Well, the worst is that they get worse, I guess. But the worst is that actually they just know that even if nothing happens, that you've shown enough love and compassion to want the best for that person. And that's not a bad thing. And that actually is one of the biggest reasons why we don't do it. It's the fear if nothing happens. It's unbelief. Unbelief limits God's plan. And it can take a hold. And we've got barriers in the way. We used to have a, a little dog. Uh, a puppy, that's what they call it, a puppy. We used to have a puppy, a very little dog. And, and, and to stop the puppy escaping, we used to put like, it was only about a 12-inch barrier, 12-inch barrier of wood, I remember it, to stop the puppy escaping. The puppy would not go across, could not physically, would fling itself at this barrier, would fling it, and then in the end just gave up. But the puppy got big. And, and it could easily have just gone like that to get over, over the wood. Because the, the dog was much bigger, but it never tried because it could not get over that barrier. It had this preconditioned belief that it was no way it could get over the barrier because I used to, I, I, I ran at that barrier and I could not get over it. And, and the reality was that it could get over it, but it was just living in the old days. And sometimes I think, if you're anything like me, that we can live in the old days and we can put barriers in the way. What is stopping us? Now, sometimes... Sometimes we've been offended with God that God didn't do what we wanted him to do. And sometimes, if it's not an offense, we can get disappointed that we're disappointed with God that he didn't do what we wanted to do. He did it for someone else, didn't do it for you. Didn't do it for your family, did it for someone else's family. Get disappointed, get offended, get upset. I remember a number of years ago, friends of ours who had a little baby, perfect, beautiful, little babies, born in the hospital, picked up an infection in the hospital. Within four hours, we were called in to come, please, can you desperately pray? Desperately ill. And within five hours, this little baby had died. Occasions like that stop you praying the next time a baby comes along. And I think some of us have stopped praying because of what has happened. And that can show itself by skepticism or doubt. Or we can overanalyze things. Well, it's only a three. It's not a full healing. It's a five. It says, or, we, God, or can we get resentful? God healed your cancer, didn't heal mine. Well, the antidote to all of that comes like this. We need to celebrate everything that we see the Father doing. Whoa, a 10 to a 9? Whoa, that's amazing. You're leaving this place just a little bit better than when you came in. That is good news. You're feeling less anxious now as when you walked in. You're feeling more joyful now. You're feeling less guilty now. Whoa, let's celebrate. What the fuck? Are we feeling a bit better? That is great. Now, obviously, we want to see all the way. But we overcome cynicism by saying, do you know what? I'm going to celebrate. And we're going to trust and if we've got issues like anger and disappointment, God, I'm having to deliberately choose to trust that you know what you're doing, even if I don't always understand what you're doing. And I'm going to trust that you know how you're going to go about doing it. And we also need to deal with disappointment. So actually, I felt that this morning, just as just spending a bit of time praying, that on the outside, you can look as if you're all up for this, but on the inside, you know that you have shut down, you've closed down because of disappointment or anger. Jesus just used the ordinary moments, the marigold moments. But Jesus also went intentionally to find people. 
The key was being prompted by the Father. See, see, Jesus knew about the man at the pool. How? Jesus knew about the woman at the well. How? Prompted by the Father. I can only do what the Father tells me to do. Just like the man who came to church on that day, driven to Sheffield, find the church, and the Lord just tells me to tell you what my job is. How did he know? Just listen to the Father. <laughs> Again, I was on the downs this morning, and such a clear example of uh, the, 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 all these sheep were bleating and these cows mooing. Not the other way around. It's definitely that. Yeah, it's, yeah. Well, I'm assuming it was. And why? What's going on here? And then they're all. It's like really weird that they're all in a long line and procession just following because the farmer had turned up. And there's such a clear example that okay, the farmer is here now. They know that they're going to get fed, and they and they recognised. And people will know my voice. Jesus said. We need to be people who are spending time with the Father. Because when we spend time with the Father, we get to hear what the Father wants us to be doing. Spend time with the Father, wait on the Father, do what the Father says. Because waiting on the Father <laughs> could be the key to bringing someone into everything that what the Father wants to do. Jesus and healing, I love it. Jesus removed the pain, he relieved the heartache, he restored the possibilities, he resuscitated faith, and he pointed people towards a better place, just like heaven. And that's what we pray. We pray for the kingdom of God to come. We pray to our dad in heaven, our dad without limits, unlimited and we pray that you come and do this. Deal with our unbelief. Deal with our cynicism. Deal with our disappointment. Dealing, deal with, Lord, come and heal. That's what we pray for. And that's what we want to pray now. Even in these couple of minutes that we've got left now, why don't we just stand? Turi and the band will come out now. couple of minutes. Let's just wait on the Father. I just feel as if it's probably a good place to start is, is just checking our heart. And if unbelief and cynicism is sitting there, uh, anger, Disappointment. Father, you would come and first deal with that. Uh, I pray that if there's anyone here. Uh, it's actually just as I was praying this morning, I felt that there was a couple of people, as it literally a couple. They're a couple. And um, outwardly, it's like, yeah, they will pray. We'll pray for healing, but inwardly, you know how hurt you feel. And disappointed, and in a way, you've you've fueled each other. And uh, whether you are a couple or or an individual, if you've got disappointments, and it's just coming worth dealing with that appropriately. Saying, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've got angry. I'm sorry that I've been disappointed. 
I'm sorry that when I wanted you to heal and you didn't heal, that there was something inside switched off at that point. And on the outside, I love as if it's all good. But I know on the inside, it's as if something died. And Father, I'm sorry. And I repent of my attitude. And I turn from it now and I choose to believe that you know what you're doing. Father, come and I pray now. Come and release people from that. And you come and switch life back on again. Father, for that emotional pain, even as I told the story of the, the little baby who virtually died in front of me, And people have gone through that heartache and pain of wondering why. God, I pray that you come and heal. Come and repair. Restore it, Lord. And Father, now for anyone who is sick, if you're able, <laughs> it's quite funny this, I said this a couple of weeks ago at Eastbourne, and Somebody ran out of hands to place upon themselves. And I, I said, put your hand on a place that is, needs healing, part of your body. And uh, they, they needed more than two hands to, you know. And, and for some of you, it's kind of inappropriate. It might not be a bit insensitive to actually put your hands on. But if you're able to, in faith now. Yeah, so if it's uh, bad achy backs, put your hand on your back. And if you're unable to do that, when you get someone around you, just nudge them or kick them or something just to indicate that, hey, pray for me. And Father, we ask you now to come and heal as a sign of your kingdom. We pray for the not yet now. The not yet now. You are able. Thank you, Father, that the truth is that there is always healing. And we pray that some of that healing will be now. Good Heavenly Father. That's what we pray for. There was a, a word that actually I didn't even know what it meant. I just felt prompted this morning. I, had to, I Googled it when I was up on my walk this morning. And uh, it was endometriosis, which as I Googled it, I worked out it's a lady thing. <laughs> I had no idea. And so, Father, I pray for any woman here who has that. And it's had quite a life-impacting consequence upon them now. Lord, I pray, even if it, it, it's not going to get tested right now, but, Father, I pray that your spirit would come and you would heal that person now. We ask you. Lord, if, if this is your prompting, then you're wanting to do something here. If you've highlighted that issue in someone's life, I pray that you come and you come and heal and you come and deal with it, that you come and bring order where there's disorder, that you come and bring absolute wholeness and well-being. We pray for that no longer. 
we are no longer to be disabled by this condition. We pray for the life of God. And actually, we pray for that across any condition here right now. We ask you that your spirit comes. We, 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 we hate. Polly spoke the other week. <laughs> we know. And there was this anger that Jesus felt when he confronted death. And Jesus has an anger when we see sickness crippling people's lives. And Lord, we pray that you come and you come and deal with sickness now. On occasions, you said all who came to you were healed, and we pray for that now. We pray for all healing to take place here across this room. We're fed up of seeing the disabling impact of the broken world in which we're living in. And we pray for the kingdom to come now on earth, just like it is in heaven. That's what we're asking for. That's what we're looking to our heavenly Father. What son will come to you asking for fish or bread and you'll give him a scorpion or a snake or a stone? I said that the completely wrong way around a few weeks ago in Eastbourne. I said, what son would come to you asking for a scorpion? You give him bread. It's like that. So, Father, I pray that you're a good, good father. That's who you are. And I ask you now that your spirit will come and rest on people and you'll come and heal people now. If you are a non-believer here today we, or an inquirer or just someone who's searching or looking into spirituality, you go, what's all this about? We'll pray for you as well that you come and make yourself known, that you are for real. As you search and you seek, I pray that you find, and then you're completely satisfied in him. Just like Jesus said, I can only do what my Father says. We want to introduce you to the Father. That's what we want to do. And so we pray for that in Jesus' name. Let's sing a song, and then we'll close up. And then if anyone wants to continue, uh, been prayed for, then happy to do that. People around would love to do that. And uh, we'll get going, and then... Refreshments will ever be served. Okay.